Hello everyone and welcome to episode 23 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Mark Stockley. Hi. And Matt Boddy. Hello. World. Ducks at Cloud Security Expo this week, so we won't get to hear from him, sadly. Uh, but coming up on today's show, Matt talks about Facebook privacy and Mark talks about a Chrome Zero Day. What have you been up to this week, guys? I've made an app and it's oh. excellent, although it only works over HTTP. What? Yeah, well, I mean, Duck's not here to tell me how that's a terrible, terrible thing. It's a thing. terrible, terrible Mark's thing. Mark's here. Oh, no. <laughs> So I I am I am currently going through a Udemy course on Android app development and it's just got to the point where it teaches you about APIs drawing data from an API so it just uses this open weather thing to draw down the current weather without even having to look out of the window. So you're officially ready to go onto freelancer.com now and start offering your services. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can create unsecure services for any Android phone. <laughs> so this this app it doesn't. There's no weather prediction. No barometric pressure. No, literally. So, it, so it's just like draws look, down an API. Like looking out the window. It's like looking out the window, oh, cool. but the window is your phone. Oh, yeah, it's, it's much much more costly. So millennial. Yeah. Yeah. So millennial. Yeah, exactly. All it needs is a smashed avocado on the front of it. Oh, Mark would like that. It's fully millennial. And because it's HTTP, it's like a window that anyone can look through. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. <laughs> that is very true. Mark? So I, I wrote an app as well. Well, we, I call them computer programs, but we can call it an app. Yeah, that's, that helps that's, you understand. Uh, Matt. Helps me and my um, whole generation. But unlike <laughs> Matt, unlike Matt, <laughs> I tell you, if you want to talk generational, mine's written in Perl. <laughs> Is it? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But unlike yours, mine yeah. uses HTTPS. Oh uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Old school. Yeah, that is old school. Okay. Mm, not very. So my app, my app, <laughs> mine's a. a a, a web analytics app so it uses the very excellent uh, net google analytics module from cpan um, and i've got a pro tip for you so the reason i write computer programs to query google analytics is because of the sampling problem that many people run into with analytics and what, it, what that is is the bigger the date range that you look at the bigger the data set that you have in google analytics the more sampling google does on the data you're gathering so as you look at more and more data it, you start to see sort of weird things happening as you expand the date range and, and you know, the, the chart starts changing shape because the sampling level goes down and down and down and down. So my pro tip is to write little computer programs that use the Google Analytics API and then you can draw down individual days worth of data and make very big data sets out of very small slices. And so then you don't run into sampling errors. On to this week's stories. Mark Zuckerberg's been talking about his privacy-focused vision for Facebook. Matt, can you talk us through the story? Yep, I can. So Mark Zuckerberg has posted to tell everybody, to tell the world, that he's going to make the Facebook Messenger service and the Instagram messaging service and WhatsApp messaging service much more <laughs> secure and private. And uh, the way that he's going to do that is he's going to stitch the back-end architecture of all three services together. We're focusing on four things. First, the end-to-end encryption. Secondly, reducing permanence so that people can feel comfortable being themselves and should not have to worry about what they share coming back to hurt them later. Safety. So uh, people should expect that Facebook will do everything that they can to keep them safe in their services. And then lastly, secure data storage. So what do you reckon? Is this is this another false dawn for Facebook or is this kind of the Microsoft moment? Well, interestingly, Mark Zuckerberg also posted a status only a few days ago about 
how he this year each year he sets himself a goal and that's been in the past it's been to read more books it's been to do all of these other other personal goals each year and this year his goal is basically just privacy is really really focused on privacy nice PR move yeah it's a well it's, it's something that's become very necessary mm. after having two years of being completely criticized and slated for having two the, the <laughs> past two years especially yeah, not been good for- so this year is very, very focused on fixing that, basically. And recently, this is where I'm going to get into my massive speculation. I'm going to put my my uh, tinfoil hat on once again. Facebook have recently gone out and purchased a uh, blockchain startup. And he also posted in that same Facebook status where he mentioned that this year is going to be focused on privacy. He posted about also being very focused on the blockchain. So did he say specifically what he was going to do with the blockchain? No, he did not. Okay, so what you're saying is a a tech entrepreneur yeah. has mentioned blockchain yeah. in a vague context yeah. to do with privacy. And now I'm going to make up loads and loads of conspiracy <laughs> theories about this. Welcome. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking that doesn't, that doesn't really set him apart so much as set him very much with the crowd, doesn't it? But if you look at their, those four pillars that they're focusing on, the, the, the encryption, reducing permanence, safety, and secure data storage, yeah. the secure data storage specifically to me rings true with a blockchain-based decentralized application. So if you were to take something like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, if you were to host all of those services within a decentralized application, then it means that actually there would be no central authority governing where those being able to access those messages at all. And if that code was open source, then there would be no question whatsoever as to whether Facebook employees had access to your messages. It would potentially take that information, that responsibility and of all of that personally identifiable information out of Facebook's hands. And if they were having to stand up in Congress again and being asked questions like they were, like Mark Zuckerberg was on, can you access my messages? He would say, absolutely not. And it would be very believable because all of the code would be open source. So if I said to you, yeah. I want you to do a secure end-to-end messaging system, yeah. how far down the list of possible solutions do you think blockchain would be? Oh, very far. Very, very, very far. far. It's a lot of work. It seems... Entirely reasonable to me the idea that Facebook might be looking at uh, blockchain technology for a cryptocurrency that people can use inside Facebook. And I know that banks are very interested in payments on those platforms. Stands to reason they would be interested in blockchain payments or Bitcoin type payments because that gets over the whole geography issue because you're not exchanging currencies and doing things like that. So Facebook sort of becomes its own world in which a currency exists without any geographic boundaries. The idea that you could use uh, a blockchain-based technology for messaging, I mean, you could. It strikes me that that would be so inefficient. Uh, If I were architecting this, I would much sooner start from the point of view of end-to-end encryption than something like blockchain. And then if you look at his the list of things that he says are important, so things like reducing permanence, I mean, the whole point of the blockchain is that it's immutable, it's permanent. And, you know, blockchain-based systems like Bitcoin have got problems now with that permanence Mm. because you can put data in there as well. It's not just a record of transactions, a record of arbitrary data. And a few times we've seen situations where people have actually put child pornography into the blockchain and then it's there. You know, the only way you can get rid of it is with a hard fork. So I can't square a blockchain-based system with that idea of reducing permanence. 
I, I said earlier about, you know, do you think this is the Microsoft moment? So, and I hope it is, just to fill everybody in. I think was it the, I forget the name of it now, but basically Microsoft went through a root and branch change in the very early 2000s. Bill Gates sent an email, famously sent an email to all the employees of Microsoft. Trustworthy Computing. The Trustworthy Computing Initiative. And he basically rebuilt the company. He said, we need to focus on security. And this was a time I remember vividly because, you know, you would see problems with Internet Explorer, problems with Internet Information Server every week, really serious problems. Mm. And it's because Windows products just weren't architected with security in mind. It just wasn't how they were built. And Bill Gates realised that the survival of the company hinged on them doing something about it. And they had to do an awful lot about it. And they had to train their developers about how to do secure coding. They had to change all their processes. And it took a very long time. But Windows products are vastly more secure now by design than they used to be. Although it's, it's interesting that they have almost no credit for that. The scars from the late 90s and the early 2000s still run deep now. And, you know, people of my vintage are still think of Microsoft or often think of Microsoft in that way. And you have to think, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's got to be, as you say, he's got to be looking at Facebook and the demographics on Facebook and the fact that young people aren't using it and people are being put off by things like Cambridge Analytica. And he's he's going to have to rebuild his company. And I hope that this is something like Facebook's Microsoft moment and not simply a year's kind of hobby project for him and paying lip service to privacy. So I hope it's that, but I, I suspect that it isn't. And the reason that I suspect it's not is I think if you asked Facebook users what they want protecting from, an awful lot of them would tell you that what they want protecting from is Facebook itself. Mm. Whereas the, the measures that you're talking about, that's much more about protecting Facebook users from things like nation state attacks um, and hackers and things like that. So the sorts of things that we saw with the Snowden revelations in, I think it was 2013. I can't imagine Facebook doing all this stuff and not at the same time giving itself as much access as it needs yeah. to all the things it wants to know about you because that's what it does. That's its business model. So it'd be so basically watch this space. I will be interested to see what Facebook comes I'll be watching from a very, very long distance, very <laughs> far away. I mean, the, I, I've never had a Facebook account. What it would take for me to open one now would be some sort of extraordinary seismic shift. Although I suppose, that said, I am a WhatsApp user. So yeah. in, in a sense, I am a... Exactly. You yeah. talk about people leaving Facebook, young yeah. people not using Facebook, but they do use Instagram, they do use WhatsApp. So it's all part of the same thing now, isn't it? Yeah. And he mentions that in his statement, actually. He says, we've been exceptionally successful with stories. Yeah. Which has been successful. People have moved off of just uploading pictures. They upload pictures mm -hmm. that have got a few seconds to last. Yeah. Or a day to last, sorry. And that's what he's saying. The messaging is going to only last. As, it could last as long as a story. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Interesting. I think we should talk about this Chrome story. Okay. So why, why are we talking about Chrome? Because everyone last week was told to update it right this minute. Did you update right this minute, Mark? Uh, I did actually. I let Chrome do it for me. What they were told was, and this was the words of Justin Shu, who's a Google uh, security researcher, was like, seriously, update your Chrome installs, like, right this minute. So American. With the likes in there as well. Yeah, it's a quote. Uh, so anyway, you yeah. should be using Chrome version 72.0.3626.121. And you can find out if you're using that version of Chrome by going to the About Chrome dialogue. 
And if you're not using it, the number will be different, but also it will quickly check to see if there's an update available for you and if it will offer you the update um, while you're looking. And if you're checking your browser while you're listening to this podcast and you haven't got that version, pause the podcast, update your browser, and then we'll or be here. update your browser at the same time. <laughs> we'll be here when you finish. Multitask. <laughs> Look at you showing off. Yeah. You can update your browser and listen to the podcast. I know, amazing, eh? Yeah, depends how you, it depends how you consume the but podcast. If you have to choose, you should choose updating your browser. Why? Because of a zero day with the catchy name CVE-2019-5786, which is an exploit for Google Chrome, which Google says it is aware of reports of this exploit being used in the wild. So there are actually, uh, unlike some updates that patch things that could be used in theory, this is something that Google says is being exploited in practice. And exploiting it could be very serious indeed. So... The bug is a bug in Chrome's file reader component, and the bug allows for remote code execution. So there aren't a lot of details about the bug, but we we surmise that uh, you can probably visit a, a, a booby-trapped website, and that website can use the RCE bug in Chrome to take over your computer. As we know, drive-by downloads are a thing, so people use website to exploit you all the time and if there's a widely available exploit to your version of google chrome which is a very recent version of google chrome then they'll use that in order to just get onto your system and run ransomware run whatever they want and this is oh this is exactly why you know when a, a new update comes out for for flash or a zero that is reported in flash we say to people update now and indeed that's why criminals find flash vulnerabilities so useful millions and millions and millions of people have got Chrome. It's by far the most popular browser. Um, and I think actually, by and large, the browser vendors do a very good job of security. They've realized it's, um, as Matt says, you know, this is this is kind of your window on the world. And it's not even just websites. So many people use webmail. You know, you're receiving emails through your browser. You're looking at websites through your browser. What's really interesting about this, though, and what has kind of got a few people's backs up once you've done the update and you've, you've sorted yourself out, as I said earlier, Google haven't actually released very much information about how this thing works, how this exploit, how this vulnerability can be exploited. And what they've said is very sensibly that they're not going to release any details about this until the majority of users are patched. So this isn't about when the patch is available. This is actually about when people have patched yeah. and the majority of Chrome users are safe. What's interesting about that and, and what has kind of annoyed people like me, to be frank, is that, that that standard that they're holding themselves to is different than the standard that they use for Google Project Zero. So Google Project Zero is the project where, um, you know, Google go out and find uh, bugs in other pieces of software. You've got basically, you have 90 days, they report the problem to you. Let's say you're Apple, they report the problem to Apple, and then Apple has got 90 days to fix that problem. And if they fix it, or if the... 90-day window is uh, exceeded, then Project Zero releases information about that bug. And often that includes proof-of-concept code to actually exploit the bug. Yeah. So it's not just there's a problem here, but it's there's a problem here. And if you run this code, that can yeah. do nasty things. You know, that's, that's the code you need if you're a bad guy. And the standard that Google Project Zero holds itself to is that a patch is broadly available. 
obviously one of the things that happens with patching is you know you can make a patch broadly available that, that doesn't mean it's being broadly used mm. and the safety comes with the use not the availability you know i agree with what they've done with chrome here so why isn't that also yeah. the standard for project zero mm. yeah i i completely i think actually this in this example because chrome is so widely used and this this bug would seriously affect so many people i completely agree with the fact that they've done that and, and like you like you say if it applies to them, why shouldn't that apply to everyone? If there's a vulnerability to Adobe's uh, Acrobat Reader, then that's equally quite quite dangerous. Yeah, so so why does it apply to them and nobody else? So I guess I mean, maybe the challenge here for Google is that maybe finding out whether or not a patch is actually being broadly used is quite hard. And I do have some, like, I've got this, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with Google Project Zero. I think it, it solved a very, very important problem and it in some ways is a victim of its own success. So that idea of like now the 90 day deadline is completely arbitrary. But the problem that they solved with that 90 day deadline was there was, you know, we had a situation where there were people who believed in what they call full disclosure, which is this idea of if you find a bug and you've written some POC proof of concept code, you just release it to the world. And then there's this mad scramble yeah. as organizations try to come up with a fix and deploy it to everybody and crooks to come up with a way of exploiting it. And and often the crooks win and it turns out very badly, or at least certainly that can happen and it, it has happened. Um, but then on the other hand, you have, or you used to have completely unresponsive companies in good faith researchers would give them, make them aware of bugs. And then the company would simply not fix it because for whatever reason they decided not to do it or they would take a very long time to do it. And the 90 days, because Google is such a big company and they're so influential, the minute they said, we're giving you a 90-day deadline, they kind of reset everyone's expectations about what a fair disclosure deadline was. Mm -hmm. Immediately, just through their sheer size and their weight and the quality of their security researchers. So do you think now at this stage, it's now time for them to actually start giving a little bit of leeway for the for the kind of greater good in a way? I, I don't know. I'm not convinced i think it's an interesting idea i suspect that the reason that project zero worked or one of the reasons that it worked is that it's got a very very simple set of rules that are very easy to understand and that they were publicly ruthlessly applied you know there was always going to be a, a moment where a high profile bug was missed the deadline was missed and the code was released and that's happened a number of times now for very big companies like microsoft like apple um, so everybody knows that those deadlines are applied without fear or favour. I think had that not been the case, had they done, you know, had they sort of been a bit more compassionate and listened to people and said, oh, you're right, that's very serious. Maybe we'll give you an extra 14 days here or an extra 14 days there. It probably would have died very quickly because it would have been seen to be unfair. What I would like to see more than that is I would like to see Google holding themselves to the same standard or changing the standard so that everybody works according to the broad deployment of a patch rather than the broad availability of a patch. Yeah. So um, one of my favourite things about this article, uh, you're laughing prematurely there, Anna. <laughs> it's because I know what it is. It's really <laughs> my favourite things about the article were the comments. First of all, we got, we got Duck. He wrote the article. He's not here today because he's presenting, getting roasted by someone that calls themselves the anonymous heckler who says, please learn the meaning of the word ironically. 
the irony of that is if I wanted somebody to explain to me what ironically mean, I can't yeah. think of anybody better than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Duck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the second thing that was on there twice was that people thought that, that Naked Security or Google was a part of the Illuminati because the Google Chrome icon uh, was in a triangle. Who's to say we're not? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> Not a part of the Illuminati. My personal favourite of all of the comments on this story was someone... I'm not going to name them because it's a bit mean, but it's someone telling Duck that you're unhackable if you don't update. Exactly what it says is, we all know we should update apps. I don't believe that if we don't update, we will be hacked. Then they go on to say, did we run out of ideas to throw at people on news lately? Lol. Again, easy to answer that one as well. No. No, no, it is still a news story. What I enjoyed most about that comment, sorry, what I enjoyed most was the random use of capital letters. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is... Telling. You know, it's a good sign. It's a bit like last week we were talking about the Momo Challenge. Yeah. You know, if somebody sends you a warning and it's written in all caps, you can probably ignore it. You don't need to actually read the words. And I think if somebody's I, giving you security advice and they're just randomly dropping in capital letters, <laughs> you can probably treat it the same. That's how way. I write all my stuff. Would you shout? <laughs> would you shout words if they begin with a capital? No, you don't shout words. You only shout, shout in caps. full caps. Yeah. Okay. I think you should bring in your favourite comments from the week into every podcast. Favourite comments of the week. Yeah, I mean, okay. you can have a little segment. Matt's, Matt's comments of the week. Do I get a jingle as well? If you like. Do your music and I'll sing over the door. Okay. Mass comments of the week. I can't wait for this. That's about all from us this week. Uh, Mark, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Mark Stockley and at Internet Events. Oh, double whammy. Double whammy. Matt? You can find me at Infosec Body. And at Infosec of Hens. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. I wish that was true. Imagine if I made that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna create Infosec of Hens. You better. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a rival hen gang. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say where you are? You can find me at, at Infosec Body on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we are, of course, at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook if you search for Naked Security. Please rate and review our podcast. It's nice and it helps people boost us up the charts and allows other people to find us. Tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions for the podcast. Leave your comments on Naked Security so that you might get featured in Matt's comments of the week. And you can email us at tipsoffice.com. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure. Sorry, Doug. Sorry, Doug. <laughs>